everyone. I'm reading from chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, 
and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, great to see everyone again this morning and uh, uh, here for the study of God's Word. That's right. Now, Father God, we thank you that you have not left us in ignorance and darkness, but given us the light of your Word. We pray now that in that light we may walk. We pray now that in that light uh, we may grow. We pray that in that light we may be a blessing to each other and to the world beyond. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, one of the subjects we'll be uh, touching on this morning is gifts. And uh, Jackie, thank you for sharing your gift with us uh, of Bible reading. Uh, because, uh, and uh, she shouldn't be here when I say this, because it's not nice to hear yourself praise, but nonetheless, uh, Jackie's reading of that, you don't need anyone to talk about it afterwards. Uh, because when, when the Bible is read well, you, you understand the Bible. It's great. So it was, uh, it was lovely to hear. What version were you using that? You know, right, okay. Because uh, it must be the new one, aren't we? <coughs> the old one. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I use ESV, so that's why we're a bit different from one time. But, uh, oh, you'll be glad to hear fundamentally. So. Uh, now, um, one of the things that uh, got me back is that uh, in our experience, at least in my experience, uh, in the state of New South Wales, and I think in Australia, uh, the churches are better, stronger, <coughs> many of the churches, not all. That our churches are better and stronger. And we, uh, yes, it's true to say that nominals have dropped away, and it's true to say we've, we've been through a tough time spiritually but it has strengthened the churches. And I would say, uh, looking at Port, for example, uh, we have stronger churches in Port than we've ever had, in my experience, over the last few years, uh, and, uh, and more of them. Uh, really, really good. Probably that. That's fun. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the nice things is to be able to say if someone's going to put the whole way off from the state, well, you have several churches. Uh, try the presence, uh, not the whole city or, uh, but, you know, if I, can, I can certainly say to anyone from the court, Presbyterians, because I know that when they come to the Presbyterian Church of Court, they will get preaching across the world, and they will get faith over love. They will get a group of people who come to church Sunday by Sunday to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in His Word by the power of His Spirit in faith over love. Well, uh, I don't know if the coffee is any good or not. Uh, <coughs> I don't know. But they're unimportant things compared to what really matters. Uh, and that's really good. And you're not the only church like that. Uh, so this is... Uh, this is what this nation needs, good churches. And uh, I'm glad to say we haven't got enough, uh, but we have more than the uh, And uh, I'm really, really pleased about that. 
Now, uh, just to help me out here, what are some of the names for the metaphors uh, or church we find in the New Testament? What are some of the big names, the metaphors? We have the word church itself, which as you know, means something like a gathering or assembly, but what about the sort of the picture words for church? Anyone? No, no, you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're going to give me a very obscure answer. You will. He will. He will. Christ's preeminence is established. 
He is the Lord, the head of the church. Doesn't mean God isn't. You understand? Christ is God. But in the special role, the way in which God does things, Christ's headship of his church, of his people, he, the one who is true man and true God. So he is our Adam. He is the one that we now fit in with. Uh, he is the one who rules the world as Adam ruled the world. He is the one who rules the world. He is the one who in whom we rule the same thing. Don't get the ideas to be talking and we rule the world through prayer. Um, okay, uh, so yeah, we've been all those. Uh, so that's current. Now, uh, another thing that's in the wall is the presence of Christ. Um, oh, he is the vine, we are the branches. Yes. Yeah, we, and so another thing that's current uh, common in the wall is the word of God. The word of God. Uh, how does he rule? Okay, here's the head. How does he rule? Well, uh, the vine and branches uh, remain in there in my word, he says. Or the flock. And my sheep hear my voice, he says. Or the bride, uh, the washing of water with the word, he says. Uh, and the uh, and the head, of course, he rules through what he says. So, so uh, the word of God, the headship of Christ, and his his presence, his presence throughout. Uh, these are the key features of each of the metaphors, but each bring a different bit in for And each matter, metaphor, each picture has a there's no Christianity is a corporate religion. Not an individualistic religion. Yes, you are God. That's true. But at its heart, it brings us together. Christ saved His church. Okay. Very good. Now, what's wrong with Christmas Day and Christmas dinner in particular? What makes Christmas dinner one of the saddest moments of life? I've changed the subject. It's okay. Nothing to do with that. What makes that you got isolation? Isolation. Being it's coming. Being by yourself at Christmas dinner. Ooh, yes. What makes it thank you, that's that's a key one. What else makes it a very difficult day for me? Is that good? Your family is not around you. And then that's the introvert side. What's the extrovert side? So. Christmas without Christ. Yeah. Christmas without Christ is, though people don't always know it, is extraordinarily sad. I mean, how can it be? When your family's not around you, what does this side say? Thank you. Did you hear this? Ah, yes. Yes. Joe said, is it Joe or Joe? Joe, Joe said, when your family's not with you, when your family is with you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not getting along. It's exquisitely painful. Interesting, isn't it? You see, human beings are meant for relationship. We were created for relationship. The mother wants to bring everyone together. And she burns herself out to bring them all together. This is her family. She wants you all to be there, though you hate <laughs> so she gets it all done, she kills us and gets the meal ready. And then you sit around and play. And what makes it so painful is, you see, food is what brings us together. 
and he gave gifts. He gave gifts to men. That's verse eight. Verse eight. And these are the gifts. They're mentioned in verse and really, and verse nine tells us these are the gifts by which he rules the church. That's another verse eleven tells us, and he gave, yeah, these are his gifts, all right, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, the notable thing about their gifts is as follows. The notable thing about their gifts is as follows. In 1 Corinthians 12, they are gifts of activities, administration, speaking in tongues, prophecy. These gifts are gifts of people. He has given to the church certain gifts, and these gifts are people. That's the list there. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed any apostles at court present. You say, well, all right, we haven't got that one. Well, you do, really, because you have the apostle Paul, and the apostle Peter, and the apostle James in their writings. I trust that your church is an apostolic church built upon the foundation of the apostles. If it isn't, let me know because I don't want to be here. <laughs> uh, and, so, and likewise, the prophetic gift, uh, the gift of speaking the word of God, captured for us in the Bible. I trust that your church is built on the apostles and the prophets. Now, this list here is combined by one thing in particular. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, are all those who teach the Word of God. They are preachers or teachers of the Word of God. So the list is a special list. It's a list of the Word of God people. Now, uh, pastors, the word pastor is the word for shepherd, uh, the shepherd of God's sheep. Uh, we sometimes, sometimes people say, oh, he's a good pastor, but not a very good preacher. But I'm sorry that's not possible. Uh, the chief job of the pastor is to preach. No, it is to teach God's word. Uh, so um, it, it's very nice indeed if the pastor is a nice person uh, and you get on with them, that's fine, and a gentle person and things like that. I'll say more about that in a minute. But the chief job of the pastor is to preach God's word. And really, in terms of the Greek language here, it's likely to be the case that the pastors and teachers are the same people. It's not you have pastors there and teachers here, it is the pastors who teach, which is meant here. So the, the, the thing that brings them together is the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers are all word ministries, word ministries. Now, what happens when the word ministries function well? And we see that the church gets built up. So that's what it says in this. To equip the saints, that is to say, uh, the believers, for the work of ministry the work of serving, serving the Lord and serving each other. I'm now reading verse 12, follow me there. For building up the body of Christ. Remember, you are not part of the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are the manifestation of the body of Christ in your, in your locality. You are the body of Christ. So the work of the word ministry is to equip you to corporately build up the body. What a responsibility you have. To build up the body. With the aim, here's the aim, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, unity of the faith, that is to say the revealed faith that is revealed to us in Scripture, the unity of the faith, 
and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And a mature manhood there means uh, maturity is measured by Christ's likeness. You see that? The mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this again is both singular and corporate. You are to be like Christ, but your church is to be like Christ. This is a church which needs to reflect the character of the Lord Jesus himself. That's how you know it's a good church. Not the coffee. Well, I think the coffee is terribly important myself. That's because I'm a sinner. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, because we have the unity of the faith. Okay, no longer children tossed to and fro by carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, that is to say by the world around us, and worldly ways of thinking. Think how much you imbibe of worldly ways of thinking through the through the uh, media, through Facebook through the uh, ways in which we take in the conversations. We are constantly being shaped by the world around us, where we should fundamentally be shaped by the Bible, the truth of the Scriptures, and that mediated to us by our fellow believers. In word and deed. Okay. Not tossed to and tread by doctrine or human cunning or craftiness in the simple schemes, that's the evil one, of course, but speaking the truth in love. And that's not an obligation for your, your teaching of that. It's an obligation for every Christian to speak the truth in love. What a brilliant phrase. There are lots of people who speak the truth with me. They love to tell you the truth. The trick is to speak the truth in love. The love which builds up, the love which does not pass down. And that's part of it. Remember, we're describing how you go to church, what your relationship with your church is. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, into whom the whole body, joined and knit together with every joint with which is equipped, but each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, speaking the truth in love, true to the faith, building each other up, maintaining the unity and the bond of peace, when each part is working properly, stimulated by the word of God, taught to you by the teachers, listening to the teachers, obeying the word of God, okay, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in life. Poor pretty is not like that all. Because there's no church on the top. But you can be on your way to being. And whose responsibility is it? It's yours. It's yours. The church doesn't belong to the minister. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. And he has committed its well-being to us. The minister has a very important part to play. But he doesn't own the church. Okay, we're going to pause there and see if there are any questions or comments uh, that you want to make about what I've just been saying and what Ephesians, more important, what Ephesians for saying. Any questions or comments?
either I've been blindingly clear <laughs> and everyone agrees, or you're asleep, or no one wants to say a thing. So the um, <clears throat> thanks for what you're saying about fossils uh, and profits, because uh, there are those who will say that we need to have fossils people in our church or fossils and uh, more often um, profits. Uh, so, but the way you've uh, interpreted that is that uh, these gifts have already been given to us uh, yeah. through the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, is there any other passages in that you can think of that could uh, uh, reinforce that position? Well, I think Ephesians, the end of chapter 2, where it talks about fellow citizens of the saints, this is verse uh, 19. Oh, there's no optometrist in the room, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Yes. Stop it. There's nothing can be done. But at least nothing I'm prepared to do. <laughs> okay. I have them coming up to me after the talks and saying, you know, what do you think's your problem? No, you can't. <laughs> Built on the foundation of your top now. Sorry. Let's return to the Bible. Uh, fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, in Ephesians, I believe, and this is a matter of uh, judgment and, and uh, study, but I believe the apostles and the prophets in Ephesians in particular, uh, he has in mind there what you may call the foundation of apostles and prophets, namely our apostles, who weren't replaced when they died, and those who were around them, either the Old Testament prophets or those who prophesied around them, whose word was so fundamental to the birth of the church, and who had, like uh, Hebrews, Hebrews is not written by an apostle as far as we know, but uh, I would say it's a prophetic written as a piece of prophecy, uh, which has found its way and is rightly recognised and put into the inspired scriptures as a result. Now, I think there is such a thing as prophecy in today's church. Um, I think prophecy, uh, my own view, this is, I can't argue this case, but, uh, but my own view is that prophecy, uh, in a more lowly sense, is the, 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 if you like, the canonical prophet, the one who gets into the Bible. In a more lowly sense, I think prophecy is, uh, there's teaching and there's prophecy. I think the two things are on a continuum. And I think proper teaching is teaching the Word of God. I think prophecy belongs more in the application of the Word of God. And I think that we do often have in our congregations people who are particularly gifted at applying the Word of God. Uh, and I think uh, um, if you're listening to a prophet like Elijah, you don't quarrel. If you're listening to the prophets of today's church, you assess what they have to say. In other words, they don't have the same inspiration as people do who ended up in the Bible, uh, but they have a giftedness in application uh, which builds up the body. Uh, now, is that enough for you? Do you want me to expand on that a little bit or is that sufficient to Other than saying, I think the inspired prophetic gift is back here, and we have it because we have our mind. Uh, so then, what would we say to our Christian friends in charismatic churches who say that there's a special prophet who's arrived in town and uh, 
Yes, I can go to the prophecies that you can give a quick answer. Uh, my, my answer would be, you're confusing two things. You're confusing inspired prophecy, which has ended up in the Bible, and we have. We have prophets in our church. We have the Bible. Thank you very much. It's great for boys. Our church is built upon the apostles and the prophets. But uh, it is true to say that in the Christian circles, just as we have teachers, uh, we have those who speak the word of God to us, uh, but not in any sort of way you can never challenge, not in a specially inspired way, but as one of the gifts of the Lord to us who uh, can uh, apply the word of God in particular, and we have those in our congregation too. So I don't know why we need to go to your church to get comments, because it's confusing. You may get sound as though the inspired prophets have arrived back again who can tell us you know, infallibly the word of God. Well, we've got those already, we've got them in the Bible. We don't need to have gurus coming and telling us to set me up. I remember when uh, there was a movement, you know, one of the American movements swept through Australia, as ever, uh, and this particular one, they had prophets. And but the prophets were, were forbidden to tell people, and that's quite this time, and they were forbidden to tell people that, uh, they, that they were going to have a baby if they were infertile. It's very interesting. In other words, experience has shown that if you tell people that earthquake is coming, they're likely to cause mass panic. And if you tell infertile couples they're going to have a baby, they're likely to cause suicides. And so apparently God's word wasn't allowed to be spoken to those circumstances because they might be trouble. It's just shows you the whole thing was that's, that's not that's not prophecy. That's not we have the prophets. But we do have a gift amongst us of the application of God's word. It's not an infallible gift. It's not an inspired gift in the same sense as we have apostles and prophets. But it is a gift. And it builds up the body when it's used properly. Can I give an example of that? What does that look like? That looks like Granny coming up beside you and saying, hey, hey, and you saying, oh, I've had a bad week. And Granny saying to you, you know, I've always found that uh, and giving you good wisdom and praying for you. That's what it looks like. And you don't say to yourself, oh, this is prophecy. You say, oh, thank God for Granny. That's what it looks like. And that's going on in churches all the time. I hope. People loving each other and building each other up in the Um, Thanks, Matt. I was just wanting to know, you're going to talk a little bit more about this unity of the spirit in the church. And what you said to the people that might be feeling like disunified or uh, out of sync or not connected uh, to the body of Christ or struggling with, um, I don't know, the value of, of, of their attendance and their involvement in the church. I was wondering if this idea, maybe, maybe, maybe the, um, what other people in the church, you know, you said that all these boundary writers and us all have the responsibility to promote them. So, are there some um, are there some 
the things that we can encourage people with? Uh, from your experience? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would say yes. Yeah. The scripture, but I can't. And well, one of the best things we've done in the last 50 years yeah. is to create some more revival stuff. You know, they didn't exist before. Yeah. Uh, and it's wonderful that the people have got faster than the people So that those small groups are a great sign of and a great mental blessing. Great mental blessing as ordinary people encourage each other in which is sort of prophecy and building up nation. And when people are missing, it means they're more likely to be followed up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, look, there's so much, this is a subject that you all get feelings talk about. You all want to share your wisdom. I don't have special wisdom. I'm going to address the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Can you imagine what that's like? <laughs> uh, what I just want to say to you is that. Churches on the whole don't rise above their ministry. 
and and denominations don't rise above their theological college, by the way. The good health of your theological college is of key importance to you, because that's where you get your ministers from, usually, and uh, it's very important indeed that it be the best it can be, uh, and, and it's very important that you get the right minister. Well, now, there's a number of things you can look for when you're looking for someone in ministry, but clearly, from, the, from what a church is and what a church does and how you're going to build up the church, you need a person who will preach the word. Not preach himself, but preach the word. And uh, probably one of the tests of that is does he expound the scriptures? Does he take the scriptures and, and teach them, teach them, and teach them? Is that what you think? Now, uh, he, he may not be. Not being a present company, so he, he may not be the most brilliant, entertaining, sort of edging your seat sort of stuff. He may be named Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, or very few people are. In fact, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, if you know what I'm talking about, almost ruined the entire denomination when people try to be like him. We don't get those great preachers who sort of, they're rare, like everything else in life. But if you have a faithful church, because he is a person who expounds the word of God to you. God be thanked. God be thanked. That's what you need. You need a person who um, people. Oh, we want a good pastor, they say, and we're not talking about some yet. Um, we want a good pastor. If by that you mean a person who's attractive, who's who listens to you, who sort of really like and get on with. Well, yes, that's all very well. Um, but a good, the best way to define a good pastor is, does he love the sheep? Now, he may be an awkward personality. He may not be the sort of person you want to have in the world. But the question is, does he love the sheep? Does he pray for the sheep? In the New Testament, the, the marks of ministry are the word and prayer. Does he pray for the ship? Does he love the ship? So that's, rather than saying, oh, we want a good pastor, try to ask yourself, is this the man who loves or who would like the ship? Okay. And then uh, the other thing is that I would advise is uh, the pastor should be a person with proven relevant gifts. That's the best way to put it. Proven relevant gifts. And in the New Testament, proven relevant gifts are uh, how he manages his own family. Well, the question is, Father Timothy, um, the question is, if he does not manage his own family well, how then can he manage the church? Okay? So they're the sort of things I think, um, you know, we're not looking for Billy Graham. Billy Graham probably made a very poor pastor of your church. Uh, we're looking, we're looking for someone. We're not looking for anyone. Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, if you go to a church, we're looking for a person who teach you the word of God faithfully. Is that what we mean? You won't tickle your ears with just interesting bits. You'll teach the word of God faithfully. You won't be a great stage presence. You teach the word of God faithfully. Because that's what you need to get to heaven. He will love the sheep and pray for them. And he will have he will he will have those skills which he will want 
and the good father of family. Okay. Now, uh, time's against us, uh, but I just want let me say a few things about spiritual giftings, the 1 Corinthians 12 passage. And I've got a list of uh, summaries here, and I'll give it to you in two minutes. Are you ready? Here are the following things about gifts. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reviewing the whole thing. Um, okay. Uh, if you want to make a list, Here's the list, we can discuss it after uh, afternoon tea. I need to get you into your discussion box. Okay, no, we won't, we'll get you into your discussion box. <laughs> it's four of us. Ten? We need to pause at this point and get you all the discussion groups. It's okay, I'll give you the stuff. We haven't lost them. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, our gracious God, for the gifts of Christ, our ascended King the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and apostles. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have these good gifts in our midst. We thank you that you have not abandoned us or left us, but given us these gifts in abundance. And we pray now, Heavenly Father, that as our pastor teachers exercise the gift of the Word of God, so we may hear, believe the Word of God, ourselves speak the truth in love and build up the body of Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the body of Christ to which we belong may be marked by maturity so that we are not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Pray that it may be marked by active love towards one another. Pray, Heavenly Father, that it may be a place with one heart and mind where your people glorify your name. And so we uh, commit our church to you we thank you for all that you have given us. And we pray our gracious God that we may be faithful ourselves in doing what you call us to do. And so we commit ourselves into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.